All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and uh, it has been a good together weekend. Uh, I am not just in the t-shirt because it's a good reason to wear a t-shirt. I got to participate uh, in this weekend uh, with over 100 of our students and dozens of leaders, volunteers of all different kinds. Uh, uh, We hosted 11 sixth grade girls. However loud that you are thinking that is, it was at least that loud. I can assure you of that. Uh, they did a great job, um, but, but it, was, it was good to get to host, and it will be good to send them back to their house. Uh, so, so thankful for that, thankful for Ford and uh, Nathan as they lead. whole section will be filled with students who have been uh, being poured into this week, this weekend. So thankful for that. Uh, But as we do, as we do look to this text, uh, I want us all incredible example of God coming to his people to call them action. All right, this is, this is what he does. Now, we get to see it in this case, in these couple chapters, we will see one of those uh, that people refer to, and, and many times not even really knowing what they're referring to, right? You hear those statements, oh, I had my burning bush moment. I had that, that moment, and they just know that it's some kind of time when God told somebody to do something. We're going to talk about who that somebody was and what that something was. So before we even get going, you might ask yourself this. What is God asking me to do? Maybe you aren't at a a burning bush moment where there's a, a, a bush that's on fire but not being consumed in front of you. But is there something that God is is has been convicting you of some action that you need to be taking. And maybe even another follow-up question to that, if you haven't yet followed through, is what has been your excuse? Because what we'll see in just a minute is, is Moses actually verbally rightly puts him in his place. So we, we're coming to Exodus chapter 3, and, and he, Moses is at Mount Horeb, which is considered the, the mountain of God. And quite honestly, most would agree that this is the same place. Um, and so in, in this case, you, which we'll get back to Mount Sinai later in this study, but, but you can kind of think this is where or at least around the same place that Moses meets with God, right? So when we come back to Mount Sinai, you keep that in mind, that this is a place that Moses has, has met with God before. The, the narrative that we've been, remember, this is a, this is a narrative. If you're studying scripture, this is a, a story. It's not, it's not just a story, uh, that, fictional. It is a true story. But this narrative starts to take this dramatic slowdown. I mean, think about it. Like the first couple chapters of Exodus covers like 80 years, right? 
Uh, Remember, if we talked about this last week in verse 10, he was, Moses was an infant, uh, maybe had just been uh, brought out uh, from his mom and given back to. And then in verse 11, he's an adult murdering somebody, right? Then by the end, now, now he's been in the desert for 40 more years. So he's about 80 years old when this happens. So the first couple chapters are like 80 years. Then chapters 3 through 19 take about two and a half months. So um, the, the story slows down significantly in the sense of like how, how rapid it was going at the beginning. And, and here's what we'll notice right off the bat is that in this text that we're about to, to read, we'll, we'll notice that Moses sees God for who he is. Moses sees God for who he is. All right, so look, look down with me, Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, which I just mentioned, the mountain of God. Now verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire, out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. <laughs> Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I, I have watched uh, all kinds of uh, different depictions of what people think that might have looked like, right? Everything from Cecil B. DeMille to cartoon uh, to like even, even other depictions. And, and I don't think there's not a picture that does it justice. Because I don't think our mind can comprehend. This is one of those that, that feels, you remember when we were studying the book of Revelation and John kept saying it was like like it was like this and it, the, it was like jewels and it was like clear and it was like this and it was loud like this and it was strong. I feel like that's what in some ways Moses is trying to, to describe to us something that was being burned but not being consumed, not actually being caught on fire. It, it's not producing char and, and uh, on, on something that should have just... Uh, think about, uh, like, you know, the difference between, like, um, the, the, the stuff in a, when you're starting a fire, like the dry stuff and the green, you, you know what I'm talking about, where the green doesn't really burn, it just creates a lot of smoke and you're really annoyed by it, right? Th this was, should have been burning up, like, phew, should have just gone. And, and yet it's, it's not being consumed. So it, this is worth a, a pause at. He's, he's pointing it out to us, the reader. This was, this was something that he's drawing our attention to. This is argued to be called a, what, a theophany, which is a, 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 a visual depiction, of, like a, a visual of God, seeing God. Here's what we notice in this burning bush that is not being consumed, is that God is self-existent, self-sufficient, and eternal, right? He, in this, is displaying his ongoing flame. His flame will never go out. His eternality, that nothing started him, nothing finishes him. He's the uncaused cause. Have you ever thought of God that way? 
the uncaused cause. Nobody started God. No one birthed him. No one made him. And yet everything that was made was made through him. This burning bush that was not being consumed is a depiction of that self-existent, self-sufficient, eternal God. I've, I've said this before. Uh, in fact, many, many times, you see God for who he is, you will see yourself for who you are. And when you see yourself for who you are, you will realize your desperate need for him. I mean, think about it. Like, there are a myriad of places that this takes place in Scripture, but probably the, the quintessential passage for that kind of idea is Isaiah 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the, the seraphim were, were singing just like we were, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory, and at the sound of their voices, the, the doorposts and thresholds, they shook, right? They're just yelling, singing out, calling out, holy, holy, holy. Holy, this picture of the majesty of the throne room of God. And the first thing that Isaiah says is not, wow, how great is that? He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm ruined. He looks and sees a holy God and says, I'm not like that. I wonder when we see God, when we do, do we come that way? That's how we should. When we really get the, the right picture of this majestically, believably, self-sufficient, self-existent, eternal God, we look at him and we say, I'm not like that. That's why we use the word holy. right? He's set apart in his perfection. There is no one else like him. There, there's no one else that compares to him. There's no one else that we can look to and say, well, it's, it's kind of like that. No. He's perfectly solitary in this. So what happens? Moses has seen God for who he is. And so as a result, Moses sees himself for who he is. He notices real quickly that he's not like that burning bush that is burning but not consumed. And as he begins this conversation with a voice from the bush. So if the bush itself wasn't astounding enough to you, the bush started talking. Y'all, I don't know if y'all like, like we, we just act like that's normal, right? Because we've heard it so many times. It's like that story where the donkey talks. And we've seen too many cartoons, y'all. And now they're CGI all the time. And so it's like, oh, yeah, donkeys talk. No, donkeys don't talk. Bushes don't talk. But the voice of God comes from this bush. And by the way, Moses just talks back. Like, I wish, I wish so much that I could have that conversation with Moses. Like, hey, man, I would like to just, how, how long did you wait? Were you, you remember the last chapter, when Moses looks around to see if anybody else is there before he murders a guy. I'm wondering if he's looking around and saying, hey, did anybody else hear the bush? Anybody else hear that? No? Okay. Well, let's, let's just begin this, right? Here's what, here's what Moses notices, learns about himself real quick. Moses was created and known by God. Look, look at verses 4 and 5. Right? 
when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him out of the bush. Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now, to us, now we might think something about feet because we have heard this statement before. If you, if you grew up in church, you've, you've heard this kind of idea of uh, taking your shoes off. This is holy ground. But in our culture, we don't have this kind of act, shoelessness, right? But uncovering your feet is actually a reminder that you came from the very dust you stand on. It's actually a, a picture of humanity. You, when, when you're taking your, when, when he's calling him to take his shoes off, it's, hey, remember, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, right? You, you started as dust because I made you. Remember? Could you just hear this uncaused cause speaking? This ground you stand on is holy ground because I make it that way, not because you do. Because the presence of the Lord Almighty makes this place holy. Not because you have decided that this is a holy place. See, this is a drastic change. Now, to us, it's just a chapter later. But for him, some 40 years have passed since he was in the palace of Pharaoh. And he wasn't just... And now he's maybe even taken a step down to the, the shepherd's sandal. And the Lord says, let's take one more step down. Let me remind you of who you are. You're created by me. Barefoot. And then, here's, what, here's what's so beautiful about this. Moses is known by God. Look again, look again at verse four. And the Lord saw that he turned aside to see God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, he calls him by name. Not, hey, you guy. Hey, buddy, walking with some sheep nearby. Hey, man. You know that thing you do when you're not really sure you know their name? Like, hey, buddy. Right, that thing? No, no. Hey, Moses. Moses, listen to me. I'm going to call your name twice to let you know. I know it's you. It wasn't, wasn't slow here. Like, Moses? Is it Moses? No, no. He calls him clearly by his name. I need you to hear this, church. The Father knows who you are. You're known. You are created by God. Certainly, from dust to dust, you are created by him. But he knows your name. He knows every hair on your head or lack thereof. He knows it all. He knows how many of them are gray. He knows how many of them are actually gray. <laughs> oh, he knows you. 
miss that. That the creator of the universe knows you. Amidst the eight billion people on the planet today, he knows you. And of the billions and potentially trillions of people that lived before this day, he knows all of them too. When we say that he is omniscient, just the fact that he knows each of us is astounding. But he knows all. Now, even in that, Moses has seen God for who he is and he sees himself for who he is. So he realizes, I'm this created by God, known by God. Surely this would have been encouraging to him. So whatever comes next, right? Whatever comes next, Moses is gonna say, yes, Lord. I'm gonna do whatever you say because, I mean, you just talk to me out of a burning bush. This is one of those moments that, that'll go down in history. Like, this is, this is phenomenal. Thanks for including me. Whatever it is you say, I'll say yes. That is not exactly how this story goes, is it? What happens next is that Moses doubts God, and with each and every doubt, God responds. In fact, uh, I, I almost tried to, to write it this way, but the, the reality is that there are four or five different times here that Moses just makes an excuse. He's not just doubting God. He's not wanting to do what God says. And so he just makes an excuse. He kind of asks some questions of God. And I love it uh, because everyone, God faithfully answers. So, so listen how this, this goes. Uh, verse 6. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. He realizes who he's talking to. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I, I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the places, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I imagine that verses 6 through 9, Moses is pumped. Moses has fled this place. He had just begun to kind of be on the side of the, the Hebrews and thinking like, yes, you're going to free the people. This is great news. And then verse 10 happens and he's like, time out. Hmm. Uh, I, I thought we were just in celebration mode. I didn't know that, that I was supposed to be a part of this story. I was good with just you you rescuing them. You're, the cries came up to you. This is good. I'm so glad that's happening. Verse 10, wait, uh, I, I think I caught there that you said you will send me to Pharaoh. And so here's, here's Moses' response. His doubts begin. He asks basically, who am I? Verse 11, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of, of Israel out of Egypt? Right? And maybe this is a fair question, but it seems uh, in, unimportant, really. You don't have to be anybody to be used by God. 
You, know, you, know, you don't have to be anybody special. God's saying, hey, I'm going I'm to use you. Your, your answer is not, well, who am I? Who cares who you are? And really, that's God's answer. So excuse number one, who am I? Answer number one, I will be with you. He says, but I will be with you. This shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You notice God doesn't give Moses a pep talk here. He doesn't say, oh, Moses, you're a, you're a great fit for this because you, you're an Israelite, but you, you used to live in the palace, so you'll know the ins and outs. You'll know how to speak to and the Egyptians. This would be perfect. Like, he doesn't give him a pep talk telling him how great he is. You know, you've really gained your strength over these 40 years. This would be great for you. You even listened. You took your sandals off when I told you. So this would be great. I, I, I really think you can do it. Come on, Moses. Like God's not waving pom-poms. I'm going to be with you. I've got a task for you to do, and all you need to know is I'll be there. Sound like any of the things we get asked to do? I'm going to fast forward and give you a little teaser. And behold, or King James, and lo, I will be with you. Think it's going to be hard for you to, to do that thing? That's okay. I'm not worried about you because I'm going to be there. You think it's going to be a difficult thing, a challenging accomplishment, work to do that I'm, I'm calling you to? That's all right, because I'm going to be there. Like, this should have been enough to stop and silence Moses. In fact, it should be for us too, right? And just like Moses, I'm sure we, we come up with other things as well, other excuses. But Moses comes, seems to come real quick with another one. I don't know enough. Essentially, he says that in verse 12. I mean, in verse uh, 13, he says, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, again, remember who he's talking to. In fact, he was just told, I am the God of your, your fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Like, so he knows who he's talking to. And and if he, so he's saying, well, I don't think I have enough answers. I don't, I don't have enough information to, to answer. This is going to, what if they stump me? I mean, not everything in this is about personal. I don't really want to go to my coworker and tell them about Jesus. Because what if they ask me a question about lamentations? What if they ask me a question about Habakkuk and I don't really know that one very well? Or what if they, what if they ask me just one of those philosophical tough questions? I, I, I don't know enough. What if they ask me about a name of God? I don't know. What if they ask me something in Greek or Hebrew? I don't know. You know what God Verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. 
Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Essentially what he says in those two words, I am, he's saying, you know me and that's enough. What, what, if, what if I go to these people and they ask me a question I don't know the answer. They ask me who sent me to you. And, and I, don't, I don't know that answer. And he says, yes, you do. Tell them the I am. This, this statement is like saying, I cause to be what is. I am. You know, we can't make that statement about ourselves. You know, any time we use the, word, the phrase I am, we have to have another word with it. I am a pastor. I am a dad. I am, or not so much. I am, like you, you I am gray-headed. I am, right, fill out, fill in the thing, right? It doesn't matter what the, but we have to have that. What he's saying is, no, I am. The uncaused cause stands here to say, I We do not exist. But if we do not exist, God is unfazed. God exists whether or not you or I ever take a breath. But without him, we have nothing. I, I love this about God. He doesn't tell Moses all of the things he knows. I mean, say, you know what? You've taken so many classes, you're going to be okay. You've gone to enough uh, life groups, you're going to make it. You've set enough times with Jethro. You're, you've, you've One. No, he simply says, you know me, and I am enough. I am is enough. Moses just fires right back. Because really, the, the, the rest of chapter 3 is this interaction that God is, is telling him that I am is enough. And so then he comes to, so go to uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. His excuse then, oh, they're not going to believe me. As though he had the power to be winsome enough to make them believe him. God has just said, look, uh, when you are doubtful about you having the answers, don't worry about it because I am is there. And he says, uh, they, they won't believe. Whatever words I say, they're not going to believe me. He Moses does not even see You remember that was the first time like that we have any record that that name is being shared. He just gave him his like proper name. This is who I am. It's like unfazed. Yeah, but they're not going to believe me. 
nah. I mean, still, just, and so Moses, God, God responds to Moses. I love it. He, he basically says, leave it to me. I've got this. So listen to verses two uh, and following. He says, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? So he's got a staff in his hand. He said, throw it on the ground. So Moses did what he said. He threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And this is probably the, the most right thing Moses did. Moses ran from it. I also run from serpents. And so, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. That's even intentional, catching by the tail, right? It's like the, the least safe place to grab a snake. So he says, grab it by the tail. So Moses, I'm imagining Moses taking this deep breath. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand again. So that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. So again, the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. He put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, if we just uh, breeze past that, we might assume that that's just like three... Uh, a little bit better than magic tricks, tricks. In fact, that's exactly what Pharaoh and his people think. We'll see that later. But what, what God is saying here is leave the believing up to me. It's not up to you anyway. And with each one of those miracles, he's displaying a unique power that he has. The, as he puts a staff on the ground and it becomes a serpent and then he picks it back up and it becomes a staff again, God is displaying his power over the natural order. This isn't the way it's supposed to be, right? Like, you're not, sticks don't become snakes and snakes don't become sticks at the touch of a person's hand. When he puts his hand inside his cloak and it becomes leprous and puts it back and it becomes healed, he's showing his power over disease. God has power not just over the natural order of things but also over human disease. And finally, when he pours out the, the water of the Nile and it becomes blood, this Nile, which was described as like the, the river of life and death, He's saying he has the power over life and death. God is, is making some very significant points to Moses that he will be pointing to Pharaoh. But I want you to notice also how these same miracles point us to Jesus. Think about some of Jesus' miracles then. In fact, the, the first one we have recorded is me. Is that the the wedding, he does what with water? Turns water into wine. 
Right? He, he's demonstrating power over life. Power over the natural order when he calms the storms. The sound of his voice and winds and waves stop. He gives sight to the blind, lame, walk. He gives power over disease. Right? Jesus is God. This is what he's demonstrating. I have that same power. And then certainly when he says to Lazarus, come forth. He has power over death. This is the same Jesus that died for you and conquered hell and sin and the grave for you. He has power over it all. Even with that, he just picked up a snake by the tail. He's just seen his hand be healed. He's watched all of these things. And Moses has yet another excuse. He says, I, I, I can't speak. I imagine that it sounded something like, I don't, I don't talk good. Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and of tongue. Might, might have meant that maybe he stuttered or maybe he had some sort of lisp in his voice that would have made it hard for people to understand. And so he's just using that as an excuse, though. And you just think, like, really? Are we still going there, Moses? Like, come on, man. You're, you're hearing from a... He's, all this while, mind you, he's talking to Bush. Right? Like, catch this. He's, he's having, and, and still making excuses. I'm not really good at talking. And the, the God, the uncaused cause says, essentially, I know how good of a talker you are. I wasn't worried about your talking. Here's what he says in verse 11. The Lord says to him, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I'm going to do this for you. Who made you, he says. Who has made you? Right? Finally, Moses just breaks down. He just, he's done. Excuse, 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 excuse. Finally, he just says, will you send someone else? Will you send someone else in my place? I, I don't want to go. Verse 13, oh my Lord, please send someone else. And, and God, God is both gracious here, even in his anger, he shows grace. In verse Verse 14 says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Aaron will go with you. Now, in this, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what all Moses kind of misses out on. Because now he's going to go before Pharaoh, but Aaron's going to be the voice. He, he's going to speak to Moses, and Moses is going to speak to Aaron, and Aaron's going to, to be the, the voice. And, and obviously, God is, God is frustrated 
His anger is kindled against Moses. But even in that, he's gracious. He says, okay, I'm going to send someone else with you. You know, uh, as I read this story, I get frustrated at Moses. Because again, he's, he's standing in a miracle. He's in the midst of one of those stories that we look to and we, again, we refer back to that, that burning bush kind of moment. He's in that moment and in it, talking, like having conversation with the creator of the universe and his most common phrases are all in objection to the commands of God. So I'm frustrated with Moses. And then I wonder, how would I act? if I were standing before God. You know, like, part of me thinks that, oh, like, I would, I would, I would do better than that. I mean, hey, I like to talk in front of people, so, which is probably why God's not sending me. And then I just wonder, would I be any different? Would I start to make excuses as to why he shouldn't send me? Do you realize that you will stand before God one day? This creator who made you and knows you will require of you to have a righteousness that you do not have on your own. In order for you to stand before him, you can't just take your shoes off on holy ground. You will need the perfect righteousness of Christ himself. See, Jesus provides that righteousness for all who will turn to him. His death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin and his resurrection from the grave proved that it worked that it really was finished at the cross. For, for those of you who have never turned from your sin and yourself and your plan and, and your rejection of God, I, I invite you today to do just that. Turn. Repent, the Bible says. Repent of your sin turn away from your sin and trust in Jesus. Believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That this one who had power over the wind and the waves, the one who had power over leprosy, the one who has power over all the natural order, the one who has power over life and death, trust in Jesus. For, for those of you who are saved today, maybe today this word is a reminder. You're being called by God to do something difficult. And maybe for some of you, you have been making every excuse in the book. You had more, you've got more than just four. You're coming up with every other reason that you shouldn't do whatever God is telling you to do. Because, but understand this, God has answered every one of those excuses because he's answered them all with himself. Whatever excuse you have, you remember, he is with you. It's a lame excuse. 
It's a weak excuse because you've got him. His power, his strength, his wisdom, his perfection. The spirit resides in you, believer. Brother, sister, he resides in you. Maybe you say, oh, I'm, I'm scared. But he gives you Jesus who will never leave you or forsake you. You say, oh, I don't know, I, I, might, I might stumble over my words. He gives you the spirit who provides for you the words that you need. I, I don't know enough. I haven't been to enough classes yet. I, Chad, I'm not like you. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to like that religious Bible college kind of stuff. You know Jesus, and he knows it all. What if I lose my friends? Did you know that you're considered a friend of God? What if I never have a spouse? Did you know that the perfect bridegroom in Christ and that he has given you even this extended family? What if you never have children? What if, what if you die? What if, what if, what, what if? Turn away today from your fears, your doubts, your worries, and trust in the one who knows you and loves you. Maybe even as you respond today, maybe you, you choose to come to this altar as though it is your burning bush moment. There's certainly not flames up here. I'm not suggesting any of that, but that you would say, I'm surrendering to Jesus. Submitting to his command. You know, the truth is, I believe that some in this congregation are called to even sell all your stuff and take the good news of Jesus to the unreached. I believe that is the call to some of you. And I, I believe that a message like this should be stirring that obedience in you. I believe that some of you are being called to reconcile with your spouse. Will you do that? Will you be obedient in that? I believe that some of you are being called to share the gospel with a, a classmate, a coworker, a neighbor. Will you be obedient in that? See, the, the, the question is not the, the size of the command, the expectation from God, it's your willingness to obey. So the question for you do you know this God that speaks out of a burning bush that's not being consumed? The all-sufficient, self, self-existent, eternal God. As we respond this morning, I do. I, I pray that you would respond as the Lord is, is expecting of you today. Some of you have further questions, things that you're wrestling with. And, and right over here to my left, there will be some who would love to talk with you, pray with you. you. Like I said, you can pray right here at the steps. You can pray right where you are. You can sing out because there's no one else like our God. He's holy. He's perfect. He's completely set apart. How else would we respond to the creator of the universe? The uncaused cause deserves our complete obedience.
our total surrender and our fullest worship. You stand with me as we respond.